Loads of lies surrounding Georgia's new voting integrity law. A Detroit steakhouse lays down their policy for smelling like pot. Sports Illustrated, swimsuit issue. There's a big surprise. And Mitt Romney gets a Profile in Courage Award for his impeachment vote. Not so fast. Bold Alpha is presented by Davidoff of Geneva, makers of Camacho and the Camacho Connecticut. Tame, but tuned up to deliver more flavor and more satisfaction. Morning, noon, or night, it is always the perfect time for Camacho, Connecticut. Camacho, strength and character. It's in our DNA. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. And by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha San Miguel, a medium to full-bodied Nicaraguan puro that delights the senses with notes of white pepper, gentle earthiness, and a sweet honey-like finish. San Miguel by Gurkha. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. And greetings and salutations. It is Alpha Dave, your global five-star general and Alpha Male-in-Chief, coming to you from Command Center Alpha. And I welcome you to Bold Alpha, your destination for Alpha Male lifestyle conversation and, of course, unabashed commentary, including politically incorrect commentary. Let's go to Georgia. First up, that's all I have heard for the last week since Georgia Governor Kemp signed the new Voting Integrity Act of 2021 into law. And what have we been hearing? It is Jim Crow for the 21st century. It is racist. Biden said, it's not Jim Crow, it's Jim Eagle. Most people had no idea what he was, he was trying to make a joke. Joe, leave the comedy to professionals. Stick to what you do best, napping. But everywhere you've turned, there are demands now for, for now the Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball to take the All-Star game out of Atlanta. First of all, who even cares about the All-Star game? Sergeant Steve, you're a big baseball fan. Correct. All right. Now, I know you grew up in, around, well, in Ohio, so mm-hmm. you're a primary what? Cincinnati Reds is your number one team? Uh, I would say the Rays are now, but yeah, the Reds. The Rays are now. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I take a sip of my freshly brewed espresso because things could get heated here. So let me ask you this. As a baseball fan, do you even care about the All-Star game? No. Exactly. Nobody cares about the All-Star game. I don't care about the NHL All-Star game. I don't watch the NBA, period, so that's irrelevant. I watch the Rays and I watch some baseball, but I could care less about the All-Star game. And the NFL Pro Bowl? Please, do not waste my time. The best thing they did this year was not play the game. Nobody cares. So now you have the NAACP and other other organizations demanding that because of this new voter integrity law, which they state is Jim Crow in the 21st century, restricting voting access for blacks, they're saying the uh, Major League Baseball must take a stand and they must pull the baseball game out of Atlanta, the All-Star game. And now they're saying the PGA should pull the Masters from Augusta. Apparently, Sergeant Steve, they don't realize that Augusta is 
the Masters. There is no Masters anywhere else. You could put it in Paducah, Kentucky. It's not the Masters. I don't care where you put it. Put it to Pebble Beach. It is not the Masters. You can, you cannot move a golf course. You can move an all-star game. You cannot move a golf course. That is correct. And now they're pissed because Delta Airlines and Home Depot and Coca-Cola have not come out and castigated the governor and the legislature and have not castigated and, and spoken negatively about the new voter integrity law. Basically, Delta came out. I read what their CEO, he said, look, we had input on it. We want fair elections for everybody. There's certain things we didn't like, but overall we believe in fair elections for everyone. Okay, nothing controversial about that. President Biden comes out and says the Georgia law ends voting hours early. So any voting hours, he's saying that normally from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Election Day, it's going to cut it down. Wrong. All these people that are now going after this voter integrity law are all pissed. Why are they pissed? Why are they so upset? Does it really take away a black or any minority or any person's vote, right to vote in Atlanta? The answer is no. The answer is they don't like voter integrity acts because they can't cheat on elections. And this morning I'm listening to CNBC, and one of the three co-hosts on CNBC is a also a writer for the New York Times or columnist and does some other things as well, um, Adam Ross Sorkin. I don't know, how about just calling him Adam Sorkin, but he's got to be Adam Ross Sorkin. I don't know, people that have to use all three names, I don't trust them necessarily. He's a liberal, he's a Democrat, no ifs, ands, or buts, he doesn't hide it. For 20 minutes, he had the former CEO of American Express, Ken Chenault, of, uh, uh, formerly of American Express, now he's with some venture capital company, and Ken Mercer, uh, I believe it's, is it Ken, wait, I'm trying to remember, wait a minute, Ken, I want to get the name correctly, Ken, let's see, CEO of Merck, the big pharmaceutical company, wait, I believe he had Kenneth Fraser on there, okay, so he had, and both of them are black men, both of them highly successful, highly educated, and they were going on for 20 minutes talking about how racist the new voter integrity law is. It takes away people's right to vote. It is modern-day Jim Crow laws. It is restricting access from the ballot box. And they're going on and on and on, and not once did they give an example of what it is they have a problem with regarding the new Voter Election Integrity Act of 2021 in Georgia. They didn't give one example. The only example they gave was saying that People standing in line, voters standing in line, would not be able to receive water. Well, that is partly true. If the long lines are long and it happens to be warm, then election officials can distribute water. But they don't want, I know exactly what the intent is. They don't want groups saying, hey, show up to vote. We'll give you food. We'll give you water. We'll give you beer. I'm sorry. You're there to vote. You're not there to eat. You're not there to dine. You're not there for a gourmet meal. It's really pretty simple. That's the only example they could give, and it does not preclude 
county and voting officials from doling out water if the lines are excessive. That's the only example. He, Adam Ross Sorkin, let these guys go on for 20 minutes. Not once did any of the two other co-hosts interrupt and say, well, wait a minute, let's challenge them on some of their assertions. Not once. And then I hear Jim Cramer, who's a total fraud. By the way, if Jim Cramer says buy a stock, sell it. If he says sell a stock, buy it. The guy is so inaccurate, it's beyond belief. Telling people that, again, this is Jim Crow and that none of the companies have spoken out and companies have a right, have a duty to speak out. Not one of them have read the law. And after what took place in this country in November on Election Day and before Election Day, you're damn right there should be voter integrity laws. You're damn right there should be changes. Many of the changes that were made in Georgia were done so illegally. The voter drop boxes that weren't protected, that weren't secured, mobile voting, not having to show ID when it comes to mail-in voting, that basically you could put signatures and there was no signature matching. It was all done by the Secretary of State along with Stacey Abrams, her group, not through the legislature. And by law, all changes must be done through the legislature. But the Secretary of State, a Republican, said, well, because we're in an emergency with a pandemic, we'll make these changes. Well, we saw what a disaster it was. I'm all for everyone's right to vote, legal right to vote. If you are registered legally, if you are a citizen of this country, if you reside in your, your state, your district, you should absolutely have the right to vote. I don't know of any person in this country, any Republican that says, let's go back to Jim Crow. Let's restrict people's right to vote. Now, the Democrats, when they get in power, trust me, they will want to restrict you as a Republican or a conservative or an independent. They want to take away your right to vote. Republicans don't want to do that. So we've got the President of the United States spreading fake news disinformation. You've got the CEOs, one formerly of American Express, one of Merck, spreading lies and blatant disinformation. You've got all the, the libstream media spreading lies and disinformation. So what exactly does the Georgia voting law say? The new Election Integrity Act, which, by the way, Surveys done and polls done in Georgia showed that 75% of all Georgians said the state needed to clean up the voting process. 60% of Democrats, 69% of African Americans agreed. This isn't something where the Republicans said, hey, this is going to be extremely unpopular, let's not do this. I know of nobody, anybody that casts their vote says, hey, I want the right to vote, but every vote should be counted fairly. To me, there's nothing more racist than if illegal aliens are allowed to vote, people that don't live in your state are allowed to vote, and I don't care what color you are, black, white, green, yellow, striped, polka dot, you're not happy if your vote is nullified. It's that simple. And so while these critics say, oh, it's a return to Jim Crow, or as Joe Biden would say, Beijing Biden, it's going to Jim Eagle, liking it to poll taxes, literacy tests that did prevent blacks in the South from voting during the pre-civil rights era. This is nothing of the sort. So what exactly is in the new voting law? Well, I'll tell you that around the corner.
Camacho cigars are known for their strength and character. It's in their DNA. They're unconventional. Now, you know when you talk about a mild-bodied cigar with a Connecticut wrapper, it's the same story. Light, golden, mild, yawn. Camacho decided they were going to strip it down and tune it up with more flavor, more satisfaction, enough to earn a seat at the Camacho table. While still maintaining a nice medium-bodied character, the Camacho Connecticut starts with a Connecticut wrapper from Honduras, a binder from Honduras, authentic Corojo, and Honduran Dominican Republic filler. What do you get? A nice medium-bodied cigar that is tuned up, that delivers cream, woody nuttiness to round out spice and sweetness. Camacho, Connecticut. Good any time of day or night, morning, noon, or night. You can never go wrong. Camacho, strength and character. It's in our DNA. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. The new Georgia Voter Integrity Law of 2021. What is in it? We hear all this controversy. The Libstream Media, Democrats, NAACP, it's Jim Crow. It's taking us back to the civil pre-Civil War era. Nothing could be further from the truth. So let's look at the facts. Because we're not in, we're not going to talk fiction and we're not going to talk fairy tales. We're going to talk facts here on the Bold Alpha Podcasts. So, the Election Integrity Act of 2021 was actually welcomed by local election officials, with the exception of maybe several in Fulton County, which want to keep the shenanigans going. So, first up, it changes, makes changes to absentee voting. There are 1.3 million people in Georgia that used absentee voting in the November 2020 general elections or election. Now voters over 65 with a disability, voters in the military who or, or who live overseas will still be able to apply once for a ballot and automatically receive one for the rest of an election cycle. The earliest voters can request a mail-in ballot, now voters have to do it every year, which is like many states, will be 11 weeks before an election instead of six months. I have no problem with that. 11 weeks. It's just about three months before an election. And I think that's important. Why? Because people can move. You, somebody says, great, the election's in November. Now it's, in, uh, it's, it's June, and I would like to uh, get a ballot. Well, what if they move come August or September? They no longer reside in that district. But they could still get a mail-in ballot, and they could send it in. So that assists on cutting some of that nonsense down. Additionally, the final deadline to complete an application for an absentee ballot is moved earlier. Instead of returning the application by the Friday before Election Day, it backs it up two Fridays before Election Day. Now, that's going to cut down on the number of ballots rejected for coming in late, number one. And number two, it allows Georgia election officials to properly check the names and the voter IDs or the licenses, and that's another issue. Requesting and returning an absentee ballot will require new ID rules. Either your driver's license number, your state ID number, or if you don't have those, a copy of acceptable voter ID. The law also allows for applications to be returned online using your driver's license or state ID number ahead of the November general election. So before you couldn't, now you can. 
So they've made some technological improvements on that. Now, if somebody really has a problem with providing ID to vote, that in and of itself should raise tremendous suspicions. Now, we hear people saying, well, blacks can't afford to get ID. It's tough for them to get ID. It's, they, many of them don't have transportation. That is all a load of poppycock. Let's look at why. If anyone, white, black, Asian, Mexican, Irish, Muslim, Catholic, Jewish, Presbyterian, if anybody wants to get some sort of government benefits, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, whatever the case is, they must provide ID. They don't have ID, they're not going to qualify. If any of these people now want to go travel on an airplane, and I think now, I believe on a, I'm not sure, I think on a train and on a, on a bus too, you must provide ID. We hear Major League Baseball. People saying, at Major League Baseball, and many players are saying, oh, we should move the All-Star game because of these new ID requirements. If you buy tickets to any Major League Baseball game and go to Will Call, in order to pick those tickets up, you must provide, you guessed it, ID. If you would like to go into a government building in many cases, you must provide ID. If you would like to go see Michelle Obama speak, you must provide ID, or any politician for that matter. For example, a president, a former first lady, a high security risk. You must provide ID. Everywhere you, you go into a doctor's office, they say, we need your insurance card or your Medicare, your Medicaid card. Oh, and we need ID, and they take a copy. Because they must be able to show that the person that came in for services is that person, not someone else. Now, is that racist when you go to the doctor? Is it racist when you go to board a plane? Is it racist when you get government benefits or government insurance? Is it racist when you go pick up your baseball tickets from a major league baseball park? The answer is no. It's not racist. And now we're hearing about this vaccine passport. Everybody complains about ID, yet now they want everybody to have a vaccine passport which is a form of ID, identification. Since when is showing identification racist? No, only the black organizations like the NAACP, such as Al Sharpton's group, who's now jumping up and down, Stacey Abrams' group, they're the only ones, and the Democrats, that have a problem saying that you must have ID to vote. It is not a problem in any way, shape, or form. So now, forget signature mask or match, you must provide your driver's license number. And I would assume that now there will be a method. So let's say three ballots all come in and they all use the same driver's license number. Bing, that's going to be a big red flag in the election database. Poll workers, when you go to vote in person, you show ID, they use that information, plus your name, date of birth, address, to verify your identity, and to make sure you're voting in the correct district or poll location. 
and state and local governments are no longer allowed to send unsolicited applications, and third-party groups that send applications have new rules to follow as well. Their applications must be clearly marked as being not an official government publication, that it is not a ballot, and must clearly state which group is sending the blank request. Now, is that controversial? I don't think so. That's not controversial having to show ID. Now let's talk about the absentee ballot drop boxes. Last election they had, I don't know how many across the state, 300, something along those lines. They were available 24-7. They put them not just in government buildings but in public locations, street corners, uh, malls. But there was no security. You didn't know who was coming in if somebody was coming in and dropping off 3,000 ballots, which is illegal. Now, these secure absentee drop boxes are part of state law and requires all 159 counties in Georgia to have at least one drop box. It caps the number of boxes at one per 100,000 active voters or one for every early voting site, whichever is smaller, and moves them inside to early voting sites instead of outside on government property. And the drop boxes will no longer be accessible 24-7, only during early voting days and hours. That's what we have in Florida where I am located. No problem. There's a box there, and I saw people coming in, dropping their ballot off. But this nonsense where people can drop 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 and stuff the ballot box, forget it. Over. Now, changes to early voting. We've heard, oh, they're taking away early voting. They're cutting it. Biden said they're cutting the hours of early voting. They're going to take away people's right to vote. So people now that work, they're not going to be able to come and vote after work or before work. Not so fast, Beijing brainless Biden. Let's talk fact about the Georgia Election Integrity Act of 2021. The bill actually expands early voting access, adding an additional mandatory Saturday and formerly codifying Sunday voting hours as optional. But most counties do offer Sunday voting from noon to 6 p.m. And now, counties can have early voting open as long as 12 hours a day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at minimum, but most of them are open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Now, if you live in a larger metropolitan county, you might not notice a change. For smaller counties, you'll have an extra weekend day, and your weekday early voting hours will likely get longer. So this nonsense that they're cutting down early voting, they're eliminating early voting, it's a load of bullshit. Now in Fulton County, which is I think one of the largest counties in Georgia, it's where Atlanta sits, run by Democrats I might add, they had two mobile voting buses that they purchased last year to help with long lines. Now I'll get to one of the reasons why there's long lines in Georgia for past elections. I'll get to that momentarily. But they're cutting out those mobile voting buses. Gone. Now, they're going to allow more early voting sites to be in more locations. And the law prohibits mobile voting except during an emergency declared by the governor. So let's say, hypothetically, there is a giant tornado that wipes out several key 
voting locations in a county or in a, in a town. Now they'd be able to use those by emergency order of the governor. No problem. But to have these rolling all over the place is ridiculous. Again, people now can still request 11 weeks before an absentee ballot. They must obviously provide ID in order to get that ballot, and when they return the ballot, they must also write the ID number on the ballot rather than just a signature match. Now, is that so controversial to eliminate the two buses, the two mobile voting locations? I don't think so. Now, here's another issue that we talked about, food and beverage, the handing out of water. Here's what the law actually states. It prohibits anyone except poll workers from handing out water to voters in line and outlaws passing food and water to voters within 150 feet of the building that serves as a poll inside a polling place or within 25 feet of any voter standing in line. Now, third-party groups can have food and water available, but they've got to be past 150 feet. So if you are saying, hey, we're going to bring everybody over, if you vote, go and vote today, we are going to give you a five-course meal featuring a beautiful ribeye tomahawk steak. But the key is, is that we're going to do it, you'll get it when you're in line waiting to vote. Sorry, that is now illegal. And frankly, most people don't, shouldn't be standing in line for an hour, two hours, three hours. Here in Florida, we don't have those problems, and I'll tell you why in just a bit. Now, here's another important change, which is, again, has nothing to do with Jim Crow. During early vote counting, this also allows, by the way, the counties to begin up two weeks before processing the absentee ballots. So an absentee ballot comes in two weeks before, starting two weeks before it comes in the mail. Let's say they get 1,000 in the mail. They are then allowed to open up the envelope. They can then check to make sure everything matches, but they cannot tabulate until Election Day. And a lot of the problems we saw were all these absentee and mail-in voting, and these states did not allow, like Pennsylvania, the ballots to be processed and counted ahead of time. In Florida... They're allowed not only to, to open up the ballots, they're allowed to process them on a day-by-day basis, I believe two weeks, 10 days or two weeks prior to Election Day. That makes sense. But in addition to that, counties must now publicly report daily how many people have voted in person, how many absentee ballots have been issued, returned, accepted, and rejected. Now that makes sense to me. Now you know what the denominator is. Because before, people said, we don't know how many, how many ballots we, we've processed. We don't know how many are left. Well, now, guess what? They will know that. Every day, they must report those figures. And in runoffs, they've made some changes. Things are going to get tighter. Instead of, I think, nine weeks between the start of uh, the end of a regular election and a runoff, it's going to be four weeks. Now, some other things in terms of processing the vote in Georgia. That again, none of the Libstream media is reporting. None of these people that are saying, oh, this is Jim Crow, Jim Eagle, they're not talking about this. Well, one of the big problems in the 2020 election was how long it took for some counties to release their final vote totals. 
Others miss batches of ballots the first time. There is confusion for umpteen weeks afterwards. So now a change that local election officials embraced allows them, as I said, to begin processing but not tabulating absentee ballots starting two weeks before the election. And there is a new requirement that counties count all of the ballots nonstop as soon as polls close and, and finish by 5 o'clock the next day or potentially face fines and investigation. So great. The polls close, let's say, at 7 p.m. They've got, let's say, one county already has 32,000 ballots. They've opened and processed. Let's say there are 35,000, but 3,000 were kicked out. They've got 32,000 in bins ready to go. Starting at 7 p.m. or whenever the polls close officially, they can start tabulating that vote, and they can't stop. They can't play any of these games where they're going to take three hours for dinner. There's a pipe that broke. We're going to just... We're going to just take a 30-minute a, a, a lunch break. Uh-uh-uh. Now you got to tabulate those votes pronto, continuously. Now, do I think that's a great change? Absolutely. That actually makes sure the vote is counted properly and expeditiously. Cuts down on the possibility for games. How is that Jim Crow? How is that racist? It isn't just like the entire Elections Integrity Act of 2021 from Georgia. And there's some other items they have to show that the, uh, the machines have better integrity, better testing, so on and so forth. Now, personally, I believe that the election machines they use, where basically you vote on a touchscreen and then it prints out a ballot, they should get rid of every one of those. We had those in Florida. Now, after the... Bush election, the Bush-Gore election way back, whenever that was, 2000, I believe. The state of Florida was the laughing stock of the country. The stupid hanging chads, and I remember voting that way. You'd get an absentee ballot, you'd have to take a little, there's a little tool they gave you, you'd punch it. It was a cockamamie system. But that's what they used because of punch cards, the IBM punch cards way back. So everybody said, you got to change it. Federal law, the feds went after Florida because, again, we were the laughing stock of the country. We aren't anymore, and there are reasons for that. So the first thing that Florida did, they got all this federal money and state money. They went out and bought all these touchscreen machines, and everybody said, this will be great. We'll have these touchscreen machines. It'll make voting simpler. We won't have these problems. Well, there was one little problem. There was no paper trail. It spit out at the end of the day what everybody voted. And then a few years later, within about two years, three years, people complained. So Florida said, all right, we spent whatever it was, $100 million, $80 million on all these machines. We're dumping them. We're going to go back to the old-fashioned paper ballot, just like when you took a test like the SAT exams or any standardized test. They had the, the circles or the ovals, and you used a, a dark blue pen or a black pen or a, a pencil. You had to fill it out. And that's what they did. And now you don't have to worry about big lines because you only have a limited number of machines. Now, I went to early vote this year about a week before the election. They had a super site set up over at Raymond James Stadium where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. They had, there was no machines. You came in, there were about eight people checking you in. Now, I, have, I had an absentee ballot, but I was in town. So I handed it in, it was blank, and I said, I want to vote in person. 
He said, no problem. I need your ID. Saw my ID. He matched it. He said, great. He put giant cancel and void uh, on all sides of the ballot with big X's. And he said, here it is. I'm showing you right now. This goes into a special bin where these get destroyed. Fantastic. Here is your ballot. They print it out because with early voting, you don't have to vote in a specific precinct. So by looking at your address, they know they create a special ballot for you for judge races and councilman races, that kind of thing. Spits it out. He says, great, go to any one of those uh, things. They're giant tables, and they were socially distanced, but they were like high-top tables, and they had big dividers, and they had like four uh, dividers on each table. They were big tables. And I think they must have had about 40 of those, uh, 40 locations where you would go in and secretly put your vote, and they gave you a fresh pen that you could keep afterwards because of the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus. They didn't want to sanitize. They said, nope, that pen is yours to keep when you're done. Great. Filled it out. I was in and out in two minutes because, again, I went through the ballot ahead of time knowing who I wanted. So it was very simple. I then went to the, there's an exit, and there's two big machines that are scanners. The gentleman says, great. I need you to just input that. He doesn't touch it. He inputs in, first one there, second one there. Great. It, a, a green light comes in saying accepted. There's not only a paper trail, there's also the electronic tabulation. And if there's any shenanigans, they have every ballot. And there's a barcode. So they can scan them and they know exactly, not necessarily who you are, but they know what ballot goes to what. So that therefore, there's two pages, you can match them up. It's very simple. But in Georgia, they've got these cockamamie machines. That's why they had three, four-hour lines. Now, here's the big issue. People said, oh, it's, it's, it's Jim Crow voter suppression because of these lines. Where were the big problems with all these lines? Primarily in Atlanta. Fulton County was the biggest problem, all run by Democrats, primarily a black county. So if anybody's saying there's Jim Crow issues, that it's voter suppression, they ought to look at the black mayor, who, by the way, sits on the, on the uh, Fulton County Elections Board. They ought to look at the Democrats that are running it and say to them, hey, you need more locations or you need more voting machines or, frankly, they ought to dump those cockamamie machines from Dominion and they ought to go with the good old-fashioned paper ballot that you fill out, you know, just fill out the ovals or the circles. You wouldn't have these problems. So when I hear all this nonsense about Jim Crow, voter suppression, taking away people's right to vote, nothing could be further from the truth. But did Joe Biden or did Ken Fraser of Merck or Ken Chenault, the former chairman and CEO of Amex, who are complaining, saying it's Jim Crow, it's racist, did they bother even reading the bill? The answer is no. Did any of the libstream media, any of the anchors, any of the reporters that are going on about it? No. Because remember, they have no problem blatantly lying. Because to them, the ends justify the means. They want, they don't want voter integrity. They want the opposite. They want the ability of massive voter cheating and voter fraud. That's why they're pissed. That's why they're up in arms. Because they don't want a fair vote. 
They don't want everybody's vote to count. They want certain people's votes, i.e. Democrat voters, to count twice, three times, and four times. And that, my friends, is the truth that you will never, ever hear from a Democrat or the Libstream Media, the NAACP, or any other organization that wants fraudulent elections. So the Georgia Election Integrity Act of 2021, when you look at fact compared to fiction, it is night and day. Everyone's vote in Georgia will now count. Everyone in Georgia will have more assurance that there will be no shenanigans in upcoming elections. And if the Democrats and the NAACP and Al Sharpton and the Libstream media have a problem with it, too bad. Voter integrity laws. Exactly what they state their mission is. Voter integrity. Make sure we have fair, honest elections that aren't filled with games, shenanigans, and all sorts of phony votes. Maybe for once, one of the members of the lazy Libstream media, and maybe Ken Frazier and Ken Chenault, who are both educated, Ken Frazier of CEO and chairman of Merck, went to Penn State with a bachelor's, went to Harvard getting his law degree. You'd think a guy like that would probably be smart enough to read the bill. Maybe he did. And maybe he's blatantly lying anyway. By the way, Ken Frazier and Ken Chenault, if you ever want to come on Bold Alpha with Alpha Dave, I'm happy to debate you. Unlike the damn pansy-ass sissy Adam Ross Sorkin, the, the flaming Lib Dem, who rolled over and didn't challenge you on one of your blatant lies. So congratulations to the Georgia legislature and the Georgia governor for signing the long-needed Election Integrity Act of 2021. Fair elections. Jim Crow, my ass. Gurkha is known for producing the world's finest cigars. When you look at their blends, you look at their packaging, you look at the bands, everything about Gurkha screams quality. Gurkha has just released a new cigar that is totally about absolute taste and quality, the San Miguel by Gurkha. It's a Nicaraguan Puro. Nicaraguan wrapper, binder, and filler. Perfect, medium to full-bodied balance, loaded with complexity, layers of flavor, including white pepper, a nice natural earth tone, finished with a sweet honey-like taste. San Miguel by Gurkha. Features 100% Agonorsa leaf, Nicaraguan shade-grown Corojo wrapper, double Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler. If you're looking for a medium to full-bodied beauty, go no further than the new San Miguel by Gurkha. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. I don't know about you, but when you go into a nice restaurant, have you noticed the last number of years that people come in dressed inappropriately, baseball hats inside, shorts. I mean, nice restaurants, shorts, uh, T-shirts, flip-flops. I'm sorry, but if I'm going to go to a nice restaurant, a nice steakhouse, a nice restaurant, there should be some minimum dress code, and many do. In fact, I know of several restaurants that say, I'm sorry, no flip-flops, no shorts, and no hats inside the restaurant. 
And it is unbelievable the number of people that I see in nice restaurants, you know, four or five-star restaurants, that walk in like a schlump. Take your hat off. Wear a pair of shoes. Wear a pair of slacks. But many restaurants are afraid because if they post those dress codes, they're deemed to be racist. Why? Because certain people want to wear their hats, their hats to the side. They want to wear their baggy shorts showing their ass crack. Well, Detroit Steakhouse, very well-known steakhouse in Detroit, very elegant steakhouse, the Cactus Club, or correction, the Caucus Club. I'm thinking of a restaurant that used to be here in Tampa. The Caucus Club in Detroit created a dress code policy. And in a Facebook post, the Caucus Club in Detroit wrote that its dress code policy is business casual. Now, I take that to mean slacks, nice shirt. You don't necessarily have to have a sport coat or a tie, but women should probably you know, can have slacks, skirt, but certainly no bathing suit, no cover-up, that kind of thing. Business casual. Pretty easy to understand. And they reminded customers that proper attire is required, and that includes smelling like marijuana. On the Facebook post, it stated, Seriously, people, hoodies and jerseys are not business attire. Neither are ball caps and sneakers. Most importantly, if you smell like marijuana, don't even think of stepping inside the caucus club. Now, is that racist to say we have a business casual dress code, hoodies, wearing a, a football jersey or a hockey jersey or a basketball jersey, not acceptable, ball caps, sneakers, not acceptable, and don't smell like pot? Now, is there anything racist about that? I don't think so. The restaurant's owner... George Spookus immediately was under fire because some Facebook users, while some Facebook users voiced their support for the restaurant's decision, many others claimed the rule was, here it comes, racist. One person wrote, this is a thinly veiled attempt at racism. Trying to racially profile before your clients even show up? Probably a kiss of death for the establishment. I'll never eat there. Good, don't, I'd say. Because if you're even thinking about coming with a hoodie or a jersey or a ball cap, you're not wanted. Private business. You can do what you want. That's not discrimination. Good luck taking that to court saying, Your Honor, they discriminated against me because I wanted to wear flip-flops and a hoodie and a pair of shorts with my butt crack showing. Good luck. Another person said, This is coded language for racism and is likely going to be used as a tool to prevent black and POC Detroiters. I don't know what POC is. Oh, people of color. People of color Detroiters from dining there. Guess what? I don't care if they're people of color or POC people of Caucasianness. If you're going to come in not looking like you are wearing business attire, looking like a schlump, and, and wearing a bathing suit or wearing shorts or wearing flip-flops or sneakers or a jersey or a ball cap or any hat inside, I'm sorry. That's not a tool to prevent black people of color. It's a tool to make the establishment have a level of decorum. 
And if you can't understand that, and you don't have the class level or sophistication or the smarts to understand that, that's your problem, not the restaurant's. And it's a big problem now in Michigan because recreational marijuana is used is legal for all adults 21 and older. Though state law prohibits smoking in public places, with residents encouraged to instead limit use to their homes or other private areas. So on one of the TV stations, the restaurant's owner, George Spookus, was interviewed. He said, look, I didn't mean any harm by the post. It was a reminder with a little bit of sauce to get people's attention. He said, it's so pungent, some of the guests have comment, uh, commented. It smells like you're seated next to a dead skunk. He said, we've had people celebrating their 50th anniversary last week, the week before that. They're getting dressed up. They're putting on an evening gown, their earrings, their best suit. They're coming out to celebrate. They expect to be surrounded by like-minded guests. Now, like-minded guests doesn't mean they're all white or they're all black. It means people that dress properly for the restaurant's dress code. Now, I ask many of these people that are commenting, would they go to church wearing a jersey, flip-flops, shorts with their butt crack showing? I don't think so. Now, is that discriminatory? Because a church may say, look, these we have a minimum, we don't want people coming in looking like schlumps. It's not racist, but everything today must be made about racism. So I'm going to admit something right now. I'm a racist. Why? Well, I voted for Donald Trump, so clearly I must be a racist. I believe in secure borders. I must be a racist. I believe that a restaurant should have the right to have a dress code. I must be racist. I believe that Georgia's new election integrity law secures the vote. Therefore, I must be racist. So let me just come out and say it. I'm a racist. Because that's what the Democrats and the libs, it's the same old tired line. You're a racist. You're a racist. We're going to call you a racist. Great. I'm a racist. And I happily accept the fact that because I believe in voter integrity laws that, by the way, protect black voters and white voters, that I believe that diners, whether they are black or white, going to a nice restaurant, should be able to have the understanding that they're going to go out to a nice restaurant and there's going to be a certain level of dress decorum, again, whether they're black or white. I believe in that. Well, clearly I must be a racist. I believe America first. Oh, must be a racist. I believe we shouldn't allow illegal aliens in the country. Oh, I'm a racist. So you know what? Fine. I'm a racist. I'm now Alpha Racist Dave because I believe in all of those aforementioned items. And if anybody wants to debate me whether really any of those items are racist, I'm really happy to do it, because I will kick the living crap out of you. And that's the one thing I love about debating Democrats or libs. They always engage in fiction, in fairy tales. They never debate in fact. And when you debate in fact, you know what happens? Within about three minutes, they get frustrated. And they say, I, I can't even reason with you. I can't talk to you. That's it. I'm done. And they walk away. Whether it's a debate, a discussion, because when they don't have facts on their side, they look very stupid. Just like all those lib libs and Ken Frazier and Ken Chenault, the, the CEO of, of uh, Merck, and the former CEO and chairman of American Express, respectively, they look stupid. They're educated men, but they're stupid because they're ignorant. They don't even read the law, or maybe they did and are choosing to ignore it. 
But I'm just getting sick and damn tired of everybody saying, oh, you're racist. This is racism. That is racism. Remember one thing, my friends. Al Sharpton's business is race division. That's his business. His business is going in and rolling up his sleeve and saying, I am black. And if you don't do this, then I'm going to come down on your company or whatever, so you better write me a check. How do you think he pays for all those expensive suits traveling private? Racism, division, that's Al Sharpton and all the other race mongers. That's their business. What happens if everybody gets along? What happens if we have fair elections? Then all of a sudden, Al Sharpton's out of business. And the worst possible thing for Al Sharpton is a black child who has the opportunity to go to the school of his or her parents' choice. So instead of a failing public school, they get a voucher. And they can send their child to a private or parochial school where they can flourish, where they can become educated. And by the way, I think 92% of black parents want that. They want school choice. It's not controversial in the black community. So that child goes to grade school, gets a good education, then continues on to a private or parochial school, and then graduates and goes to college, higher education, gets a degree, becomes successful in whatever their endeavor. Maybe they go on and get a secondary degree, a PhD, a, a medical, uh, become a medical doctor, become an attorney, become an MBA, whatever the case may be. What happens to Al Sharpton and all the other race baiters? You now have a black child who is educated, can think for himself or herself. They've graduated from a good grade school, a good high school, a good college. They have a good job. They live in a nice neighborhood. They're successful. They may not become Democrats. They may say, you know, this Democrat nonsense, no, I, I identify more with Republicans. And then what happens? The Al Sharptons of the world are out of business. Business is bad when black children become educated. It's bad for Al Sharpton. It's bad for the Jesse Jacksons. It's bad for the, 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 uh, the Stacey Abrams. It's bad for all the race baiters. It's bad for the libstream media that loves to divide. The best thing that could happen is Al Sharpton goes out of business. And for this restaurant to be accused of racism because they want their customers and fellow customers to have a basic dress code, a neatness code, so you don't come in looking like a, like a, a total schlump, that's not racist. That's a, that's a business exercising their right to establish a boundary of what they want in their restaurant. That doesn't mean they're saying, I'm sorry, we don't want blacks, Hispanics, we don't want, we don't want this group or that group. No. Everybody's welcome there as long as you meet the dress code. It is that simple. And so anybody saying it's an attempt at racism, that it's coded language for racism, enough. So you know what? Just admit we're all racist because the bottom line is that's what Democrats brandish you now. If you believe in fair elections, if you voted for President Trump, if you want secure borders, then you're a racist. So you know what? Fine. I'm a racist. I'll live with it. Lastly, well, actually, i got two other items I want to get to. I know I've been running long, but no problem. We can go as long as we need.
Sports Illustrated, their swimsuit issue, that was the highlight. When I was in grade school of February, March, you knew the weather was going to get better. Winter was almost over, and you'd see these hot women in bikinis and skimpy bathing suits in the Caribbean, Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Aruba, and you'd say, oh, I wish I could have that weather, and boy, I would love to be with those hot dames. Again, as an adolescent with raging hormones, you looked forward to that issue. That was the highlight. But over the last number of years, Sports Illustrated now in their attempt to be inclusionary has devalued the swimsuit issue. Last year, they had a woman who was a BBW, big, beautiful woman. Let's just say she was very rotund. She was very bodacious. I didn't need to see her in a bikini. But again, they want to be inclusionary. And this year, Sports Illustrated continuing their wokeness. They are featuring Lena Bloom, the first black and Asian transgender to model in Sports Illustrated's annual swimsuit issue. Now, if you listen, or a longtime listener to Bold Alpha, Cigar Day podcast, there are three genders in my estimation. Again, I'm not politically incorrect. Three genders, male, female, freak. It's that simple. Male, female, freak. Now, for me to have to be subjected to a woman that used to have, well, let's just call her what she is, a chick with a dick. That's essentially what she is. Now, I don't know if her dick is cut off. I don't know. But all I do know is, do I want to see a woman that was a man? No, I don't care that she's black. I don't care that she's Asian. I do care that she is transgender. She was a man. The thought of now having to look at this magazine and they are thrusting this upon... Now, I don't have to buy it and I won't buy it. But I'm sorry. This nonsense where, oh, let's show every transgender. Women that are men, men that are women. By the way, how about the new... uh, It was the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services. She was the, uh, the health commissioner in Pennsylvania. Transgender. There is nothing about her that's feminine. She was a guy. And when I say freak, believe me, she fits the mold, fits the absolute bill by far. And this is what the uh, editor at Sports Illustrated said. Lena's legendary in the world of activism, strikingly gorgeous, has an undeniable sense of self that shines through the minute she walks on set. Her story represents one grounded in resilience. We couldn't be more thrilled to help her tell it. Her presence is the first trans woman of color to be in our issue as a result of her lifetime dedication to forging her own path that has led to acceptance, love, and change. Great. You want to be, you're a guy and you want to become a woman? Have at it. Don't thrust it in my face. Don't shove it in my face. I am tired of having to hear all this transgender crap. We need to accept transgenderism. Then now they want little kids, five, six, eight years old, to be able to decide they want to be transgender and start giving them hormone therapy. Please. It is nothing more than wanting to inflict. If you're transgender, great. Good luck to you. But now you want to inflict your decision on others? I don't think so. I have zero interest in... Buying the magazine, looking at the magazine, 
I'm interested in looking at hot women, hot dames in bikinis, not chicks with dicks. That's the end of that story. Mitt Romney, this is a classic. His real name is Willard. Mitt is a nickname. Willard Mittens Romney received a Profile in Courage Award for his impeachment vote. He was a recipient of the John F. Kennedy Profile in Courage Award. Actually, shouldn't it be the John F. Kennedy uh, Profile in Philandering Award? I mean, Kennedy was known for that. I mean, let's he banged everything in sight. He was chasing everything. I mean, women, monkeys, dogs, pigs. I mean, if it had a puss, he was going after it. But Willard Mittens Romney received the award last Friday for splitting with his party, becoming the only Republican to vote to convict former President Donald Trump during his first impeachment trial. Well, I don't think Willard Mittens Romney deserves a Profile in Courage Award. I think he deserves a Profile in Pussiness Award, considering how he rolled over in the last two presidential debates, or in the second presidential debate against Barack Obama. He had him beat in the first debate, and instead of taking his foot and stomping on Obama's neck and, and just nailing that final nail in that coffin, he rolled over like a pussy and let Obama walk all over him with blatant lies. And even when the moderator, Candy Crowley, sided with Obama on something that was totally inaccurate, Willard Mittens Romney just put his head between his little tail and just walked away. He didn't fight. He didn't argue. He didn't say, you're wrong. Just walked away. And that's why, really, Willard Mittens Romney despises President Trump, because Trump had big balls. And Willard Mittens Romney has two little shriveled testicles. Little nads, maybe the size of peanuts. That is fact. Profile in courage, my ass. It's more like profile in pussiness. Lastly, I must leave you on a sad note. Last week during a Bold Alpha, I mentioned to you that longtime Tampa broadcaster, Tampa legend, Ted Webb, had made the decision to stop dialysis and enter hospice. He did so on Thursday, last dialysis treatment, and I am sad to report that Yesterday at 12.45 in the afternoon, Ted Webb passed away peacefully uh, at his home, surrounded by his family. And you knew it was inevitable when Ted made that announcement that Ted had suffered for many years with health issues. He had bad diabetes, and it affected him. And uh, sadly, at 72, we lost him. But a man who opinionated, had the pulse of Tampa. Every city, I really believe, I don't, I don't think we see this anymore, but every city, I grew up in Buffalo. And there were several broadcasters that were just synonymous with Buffalo. When I came to Tampa, one of the first broadcasters I saw and heard was Ted Webb. He had a sports show called Sports Rap on the ABC. Well, at the time, it was independent. Now it's an ABC affiliate. Nothing fancy, just he and a guest. But that show was must-watch TV because of his opinions, because of his frankness. Just had an incredible, whether it was politics, sports, whatever the case, Ted had a very... Uh, a unique ability in a very short period of time to relay his point and, and get his message across. And Ted was an institution. Everybody that came across Ted loved Ted. Everywhere you went, people knew Ted. They'd always ask, where's Ted? How's Ted? And I had the privilege over many years, we, I was at the, uh, my, my Cigar Dave show 
was uh, our flagship station was 970 WFLA in Tampa, actually for about uh, 22 years. Uh, it was the flagship station, and Ted was uh, on AM Tampa Bay, co-host of AM Tampa Bay, along with Jack Harris for many years. And I got to know Ted very well, and Ted appeared on many of our Tampa Cigar Heritage Festival live broadcasts because Ted was just a wealth of knowledge. He was born in West Tampa. And that was a hotbed of cigar rolling and cigar manufacturing. And Ted would tell me, you know, my relatives would work uh, in the cigar factory. My grandmother or my aunt or uncles, everything was tied to the cigar industry back then. And Ted had a great appreciation for the cigar industry. And Ted was in Tampa before Tampa was a huge metropolis. Today, Tampa, the metro area, is, I want to say, number, I think, 12, 13 in the country. Big area. When Ted was first born and through the 60s and 70s, Tampa was like a sleepy small town. It wasn't the giant, bustling, booming city that it is today. And Ted had a great appreciation for the history. He could read the pulse of the community. Even newcomers that came to Tampa quickly knew Ted Webb, synonymous with Tampa. And so a Tampa legend has passed away. Unfortunately, uh, Ted uh, had a rough go of it the last number of years. When he retired back in 2000, February of 2018, I was at his going away party. They had a big broadcast uh, at uh, 970 WFLA in Tampa. And uh, many people, there was food, there was beverages, business people. The mayor came in, declared it Ted Webb Day. Uh, anybody that knew Ted did business, it was, you know, four hours of just people coming in and paying tribute to Ted. And... Uh, you know, at the end of the show, I came up to Ted and I said, we're going to miss you, Ted. I said, a legend that can't be replaced. And he said, David, I'm tired. Just getting up now at 4 and 3.34 in the morning, I just can't do it. He goes, I, I wish I could. I just can't do it anymore. And when he told me he was tired, I could just see it in his eyes. If he could do it, he would have done it. Believe me, he would have done it to the very end because he loved doing what he did. He was in broadcasting for over 50 years, starting out uh, all over the place, small stations, large stations, just, uh, as I said, synonymous with being a broadcast legend in Tampa. So Ted had a rough go. He was tired. Ted, I hope you are now resting in peace. I hope you have rejoined up with uh, big dog Steve Dumig, our good buddy Chris Thomas, and you guys are... Uh, are living it up, as you would always say, and that's a phrase that I will carry on here on Bold Alpha. But I hope that you are resting in peace. There is no doubt in my mind that Ted is, uh, for all his great deeds over the many years, he is in heaven, and he has a very special place there. So Ted Webb, forever remembered, longtime friend, rest in peace, my friend. Live it up.